0: So Surah al Sajda, uh, also known in some some authorities, say that it is uh, the 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 proper name for the surah is Surah Al Madaja. Um, although that is a minority view, uh, but again, it uh, methodologically it does raise that question of how are the names of surahs. Uh, how did they emerge? Is it really through revelation given to the prophet as to what each surah's name is, or is it sort of a a collective process of earlier Muslim communities and early very er, the early generations of Muslim scholars agreeing that That this is the most appropriate name for a surah. Uh, I have to tell you that certain surah, like Surah Maryam, I cannot imagine that the Prophet didn't actually name that surah. And also, like Surah Yusuf. Certain surah, the evidence that the Prophet himself named the surah like Yusuf or Maryam is is rather overwhelming while other surah uh, the evidence is less conclusive like surah al sajda but nevertheless nevertheless as we said in the first halaqah what is most remarkable is that the, the earlier generations of Muslims Had that type of connection with the Quran that we're talking about. Uh, That is what allowed Muslim civilization to survive. I mean, people just imagine you have the Prophet died. This ummah immediately becomes plagued by a civil war known as Hurub al-Ridda or the Wars of Apostasy. And then after, right after, or I mean shortly after, you have these um, wars of apostasy or Hurub al-Ridda, a form of civil war. Uh, This is followed by the major confrontation between Imam Ali radiallahu and Muawiyah. And then it, 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 the story goes on with some major divisions and confrontations. All logic would say, if you're just going by pure logic, you would say this nation should have crumbled like the Mongols, uh, you who know, dominated so much of the world, but had no culture. Uh, there wasn't a culture to offer in these uh, Mongol invasions, that, uh, you know, the whole story of Islam should have ended. It should have never come come off the ground. In fact, what allowed the uh, Muslim civilization to survive, despite the civil wars, despite the external wars, despite what was happening in the palace and among the ruling elite was a very powerful cultural paradigm presented by a group of what we'll call for sake of convenience, religious leaders that had that intimate relationship with the Qur'an. Cultural power, informational power, is often far more powerful than military power. And that is what Muslims had, and the earlier generations had that connection with the Quran so that when they gave a surah its name, it is because through that that connection that we've lost, they understood what the surah was about. And that's precisely what I'm trying to reclaim, you know. And, and as have you noticed, when we did the Hadid, when we did the jafiyah when we did the Rahman, what constantly inspires me is reclaiming that the early energy that this surah played among the early Muslims, in the hope that by so defining it. That energy would be reclaimed among contemporary Muslims. So, as we will see, I mean, it, whether you it's, it's whether it's Sajda or Surat Al-Madaja, it really in this case it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But it is probably the the, the Surah to Sajda is probably the correct name. And the the folks said that that said that Surah Al-Madaja. I mean, I understand why they, they claim that, and as we will see, but, uh, you know. Um, it's a Meccan surah. It was revealed in Mecca. If you read traditional tafsir, they will tell you, well, yes, it's a Meccan surah, but two ayat uh, or four ayat were revealed in Medina. Uh, The evidence for that is very weak. Uh, So I am very comfortable saying that all indicators are that this entire surah was revealed in Mecca. Now, is this important? Yes. Because Surah al-Sajdah is said to have been revealed after Surah al-Mu'minun which we haven't done. And it is number 70-something among the Qur'anic surahs revealed. Um, by one count, I mean, the, an account that I made, Is says that was the 75th surah to be revealed. Now, why is this important? Because remember that the suwar in the Meccan period are formative suwar. They are suwar that are crafting the consciousness of Muslims. They are literally shaping and engineering and constructing the consciousness of those Muslims who will carry the Islamic message to the world after the Prophet ﷺ dies. Because even if the Prophet lived 20 years as a Prophet or lived 30 years or 40 or 50, it's a very short span of time. And it is what type of character you've crafted that will carry forth the message. We also have all types of indications that in fact Surah Al Sajda had a, a special role among the early Muslim communities. So, for instance, we have many reports that the Prophet a.s. A.s., uh, would read Surah Al Sajda. Well, he would, uh, the reports are uh, is that he would read Surah Al Sajda and Surah Al Mulk. Um Surah to Sajdah and Surah al Mulk that he would read Surah al Sajdah and al-Mulk every night before he goes to bed. That this was uh, had become a regular habit for to recite as sajda and al-mulk every night before he goes to bed. And earlier Muslims, Muslims, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ and Al Bayt, the family of the Prophet. Uh, and the the successors, the tabi'in that came among the early generations uh, had that because of the practice of the Prophet then they, they would in turn imitate and would for a long time you had many Muslims who would not go to bed before reading Surah al-Sajda it's interesting that even um, I remember uh, my grandmother, I mean, of course, I, I was very young because I, I she passed away when I was very, very young. But I, I remember that she would say something about, you know, if she wants the angels to bless her, she would recite Surah to Sajjdah. So she would recite Surah to Sajjdah. Of course, back then, I didn't know why she did that. Uh, now, looking back, I understand what was the point of this. And as we will see, Surah al Sajda is indeed extremely transformative and formative in the building of Muslim character because it lets you in on something very important about your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Structurally, the surah, like the surah we've discussed so far, again using the fatha in the way that we've discussed before, and in the way, inshallah, may Allah give me the opportunity to demonstrate with at least some of you who would accompany me on a journey. Um, you find that that structure breaks the surah into um, six main parts, depending on how you count, it could be six main parts or five main parts. Part The first part of the surah, Allah talks about Allah's self and about revelation and its relationship to the the divine. And we've seen, uh, uh, well, uh, let's just go on to to the point. Then, the second part, as we often see in the Quranic style, Allah points to creation and its relationship to the divine. The third part, either the thir- the the, um, the third and fourth part could be counted separately, or you could lump them into one. And I'm more inclined towards lumping them into one. But so the third, or possibly the third and fourth part together, the surah switches to. As the Quran often does to the consequences of either understanding the relationship of Allah to revelation or understanding the relationship of Allah to creation or failing to do so. Have you understood what Allah is telling you about revelation and the divine creation and the divine and what comes of that? The fourth, and that's the part that I say you could lump was number three, talks about the material difference between those who understand and those who don't understand, the believers and the non-believers. Then as we've seen in other examples of Qur'anic style, the fifth part, it segues to a reminder to pointing towards the past. Always history as a source of instruction and learning. A reference to reflecting upon the past. And then the surah closes with an admonition and reminder to the Prophet ﷺ, so you could count them as five sections or six sections, um, including if you can, if you consider the admonition at the end a separate section. Anyway, so it's either five or six, and modeled as so much of the Quran is. Uh, after the key to the Quran, which, as we know from previous halakhas, the key to the Quran is the fatha. Okay. Because the sajda is a companion. It's a surah of great companionship and great comfort. If you come to know the surah, you could befriend it, and if you befriend it, it's transformative. It it and you you'll, we'll we'll see as we talk about it. But the. Mechanism for befriending the surah or at least the mechanism that I used And again, it's not the only possible way but that that's what I've referred to as zikr. Um, is Ten zero kitab la rayba I Actually, that's that's what the phrase that I used tanzilu kitab لا ريب فيه تنزيل الكتاب لا ريب فيه there is no doubt that this is a revealed book and then I would say فانتظر إنهم منتظرون then al Kitab La Rayba comes from the beginning of the Surah, the opening of the Surah. in innahum muntazirun Or sometimes in the Dhikr I used inna muntazirun comes from the very end of the Surah. As I pray as I've explained before, as I pray on each surah before I had started working on it, that was what would come to me, and then I would use these phrases for dhikr as I delve into the surah. And so I would repeat in a state of dhikr for long periods of time. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ A declaration of testament. This is a revealed book and I do not doubt it. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ فَانْتَظِرْ إِنَّهُمْ مُنْتَظِرُونَ Or sometimes I would say إِنَّهُمْ مُنْتَظِرُونَ So wait. So wait. Because that is ذِكْرُ with that in that state, the peace and the comfort that comes to you from a vision and reminder that this is the path of truth and that the path of truth is within you is in your grasp, it's in your hand. And with all these difficulties that you confront in life, and all those around you, and all the fitnah that comes from human beings. The, the greatest source of fitna for, for, unfortunately, people of faith these days are other human beings. To remind yourself that this world has a sovereign owner, and that sovereign owner has not put you in charge. And that the greatest thing you can do is intazir Intazr. Inna Muntazirun or inna Muntazirun Hold st- steadfast and just be patient. Because this entire world is a delusion. This entire world is a world of shadows and make-beliefs and nothing will shake your truth, the truth that this is the revealed book. So much that... So much that confronts you in, in life... The most apt and wise response you can give is Fantadhar, Fantadhar, Inna Muntazirun, or Innaum Muntazirun. Just bide your time because the truth will come. And I shouldn't concern myself whether the truth will be revealed on this earth or not. That's Allah's business. I do my part. But that zikr, I can't emphasize, and again, one of the reasons I hesitated about doing doing Surat al-Sajda is that I would have loved to do the zikr with some of you, um, because I think you'll see its power. You know, um, demonstrating it is, or experiencing it, rather, is its own power, and It's far more stronger than any description I can give. Okay. No, let me use um, just two minutes.
1: Okay, the professor said, entertain them. So here I am. <laughs> I don't know what I can do. <laughs> but if anyone has anything they want to throw my way. This is, I'm alhamdulillah, this is so incredible. Um, do you do have
0: another story to share? Since
1: that's what you're good at. Yeah, okay. I need a good story. Um, <laughs> tell them about... What? The transcribed interview that you oh. rant to me about. Okay. I keep I keep ranting to Sharif. Um, well there are a couple of things that one of the one of the greatest things that I do is I get to work on um, articles that the professor has finished writing. I get to edit all of them and read them first and kind of comment and stuff like that. So the professor just finished this very cool article on women and hadith. And actually it's related to what we are talking about here. Um, it was funny, it was like two years in the making, um, not because it took so long, but just because we have so much work to do. We finally finished it two years after it was due. Um, but so what in, in it, what he talks about is, um, it's, it's called The Modern Rereadings of Hadith Through a Gendered Lens. Thank you, Zezin, because that you helped us with that title. Um, and basically, the professor, um, it's part of the Oxford Handbook of Islam and Women, I believe is the title. Um, and it's going. It's edited by um, Esma Afsaruddin and so he writes about the Hadith tradition on women and he starts by telling stories of these amazing empowered women in history Um, like for example this one woman who was known for her incredible hairdo and like she was just very proud about how you know she was always in fashion Um, and I think she came from this important tribe And how men would want to marry her and whatever. And so she was very strict about, like, she finally decided that she would marry a man um, on the condition that, you know, he was not allowed to sleep with, you know, a slave girl or anyone else. And that if it was ever found out that he did, that the marriage would end immediately. Like, it wasn't that she had an option to end the marriage. She was like, that's it. You're done. You're, You're out of there. So as it turns out, he actually did go on a trip and he did um, sleep with a slave girl and she found out. And so she said, "Okay, that's it. I'm done with you. And he was like, took it to court. And he was very, um, you know, adamant, like, please, you know, take me back. And so she got in a fight with the judge and said, no, you know, you see this as something very minor. I see it as a major flaw in character. I am not going back to this man no matter what. So anyway, this is kind of a story of several stories he tells of these incredible empowered women in Islamic history. Um, And then he says that this shows that in our tradition, there is a lot that we can point to that gives examples of women who are empowered and women who um, chart their own way. And at the same time, we have stories in our tradition that are very patriarchal and very misogynistic. And so you have kind of this, this range of what you can pull from in our tradition. So he goes and he shares those. And then he covers what other scholars have done in um, dealing with the gender issue and, um, you know, what the Quran has to say about women. And, uh, you know, classifies different approaches that women or that, that feminist scholars in particular have taken to address, like, how do we deal with this patriarchy? How do we kind of come to terms with it? And then in the end, he gives his own um, view of how we should approach these traditions in our time and basically, you know, says that women have to renegotiate um, where, where gender fits and where, where women fit in our, according to our time and place and that there are plenty of examples in our tradition where that negotiation can and and should take place, and it's up to women to do it, to do most of the work because they're the ones who understand what it is to be a woman and suffer in our times. So it's a very like open, liberating, um, piece that basically says we have, um, there's plenty of space in our tradition to renegotiate these things. So the funny thing is, he finished. I don't, actually, I don't think I told him this. So we turned it in, and it was 17,000 words, and so. <laughs> Um, the editor came back and said, you know, thank you so much for this. I'm really excited. Um, you know, Oxford is pretty uh, strict about, deadl- about um, you know, the, the space. So it was really only supposed to be 8,000 words. So I hope you don't mind that I'm going to cut it down from 17,000 to 8,000 words. So <laughs> it was kind of a, a bummer. Um, but hopefully that means we have another article we can place somewhere else. And then um, the other story that Sharif was telling me that I've been, like, editing... Um, this other piece, which is really exciting. I'm not done with it yet, but there was a scholar, Ziba Mir Hosseini, who came to visit us at our home in Van Nuys back in 2014 and had a nice conversation with the professor um, about his his writing. And at that time, he was just about to complete reasoning with God. So he was literally like a month away from finishing that book. And he had a chance to reflect on on that, like what his thinking was that went into why he wrote it the way he did. And in it, she also interviewed him about, like, early influences and what shaped him growing up as a child. And so it was really just precious to read these stories that actually I didn't even know because, you know, obviously it happened when he was growing up and, I you know, some of these stories you don't know. But he talked about his, like, relationship with Muhammad al-Ghazali and his experiences, like, with his mother and different people that he, you know, he, you know, like trained with over time. And so it's just like I was commenting, I was just like going crazy in front of Sharif going, oh my God, look at this. You know, so many people capture a different part of like what the professor scholarship represents, you know, and, and what happens at different places. And it's just really powerful when someone comes and says, look, I'm gonna feature, you know, our conversation from 2014 as a chapter in my book. And it it just, you know, and I'm, I'm struck with, um, you know, oftentimes when you're reading a lot of scholarship, you know, certain scholars, you you feel like you know what they have to say. Like they basically have one thing that they have defined all of their scholarship around and then every book that comes later is just sort of a um, re-packaging of the same fundamental idea. But what strikes me about the professors every time I read something, there's always a new angle. There's always a new like ocean. There's always just, there's just so much. So it's just mind blowing. Anyway, so I will share with people when these things come out, it's, it's there's so much still more exciting scholarship to come. So just a, a view into what I have been doing this week. Okay, he's back. He <laughs> was hoping I would sing for you guys. <laughs> Inshallah, one day.
0: (laughs) Grace Grace has a beautiful voice. It's because
1: he can't hear. He can say that.
0: (laughs) What did you say? What did you say?
1: I said you can say that because you can't hear.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't hear too well. Let's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Where's my notebook? What happened to my notebook? Okay. No. Are you sitting on it?
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. My my little trusty notebook. Okay, Alif Lam Ra the beginning of Surah al sajdah um, you have 29 surahs in the Quran that begin with Alif Lam Ra and that's a very big topic what these letters at the beginning of a surah mean. And it's a topic I I don't want to get into um, it's it's something that is best left to uh, the interpersonal process that I've talked about, but uh, you know, some people have suggested that Alif stands for Allah, Lam stands for the angel Gabriel, and uh, Ra stands for the Prophet Muhammad. Um, I, I don't think that's very convincing, um, but it is significant that you, that you have twenty-nine surahs that start with Alif Lam Ra, and delving into what these characters uh, mean I mean some people have tried to connect them to what they call the mathematical miracle in the Quran I don't know some of these arguments are convincing some are less convincing Um, what is most fascinating is the relationship between these characters and Aramaic uh, and Aramaic primarily, but to a second extent Hebrew or second degree Hebrew, and um, the arguments about Lujin, the um, the power of words and the power of letters, and words and letters have a power. Uh, remember that creation is but a word. creation is but a word from the first cause allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the the maker and creation unfolds through that word according to the laws of physics that apply to the created world once we get beyond our created world all the mathematics and all the physical laws and all the laws of time and space that we are familiar with no longer apply. And when they no longer apply, you are talking about realities that are very, very, very different than ours. Um, you know, if you imagine an ant walking. Often as I'm working in my den, I find an ant walking on the computer or walking on my arm. And the universe, through the eyes of this ant, must be fascinating. It must be fascinating as the ant makes its way on a computer or the ant walks on me. Can the ant imagine what a human being is? Can the ant imagine what the function of a computer is? The logic of the ant is according to its created world and its, if an ant has consciousness, let's say, for sake of argument, to the consciousness that the ant possesses. And because of that consciousness, the acts of the ant follow. But can you imagine? the ant trying to understand or conceptualize my consciousness alif lam ra like a key to a different dimension like a key to a different dimension a dimension in which time, the laws of time and space and physics and chemistry that apply in the created world are not there. It is out of Allah's mercy that Allah reminds us, by the way, in so much of the Quran, through the invocation of these letters, that our physical world, as compelling as it seems, as compelling as it seems, is measured to the t. I mean, slight, slight variations, very, very slight variations. An electron no longer goes around a neutron. Very slight variations in the speed of expansion of energy. The slightest variation, and life would no longer exist. The, the slightest variation, and you wouldn't have gravity, you wouldn't have an atmosphere, you wouldn't have water, you wouldn't have so on and so forth. And that meticulous measuring of things defines a reality. But the the challenge is that we arrogantly think that It is the only possible reality. And that arrogance, as we will see in Surah al-Sajdah, is a very big problem. That ego that is incapable of perceiving anything but its created physical world uh, is a problem. So, Alif Lam Ra Tanzeelul Kitabi La Rayba Fihi Min Rabbil Alameen the revealed book, without a doubt, there ought not to be any doubt that this is a book from the Almighty, from Rabbil Alameen, the Lord of everything. Immediately after this declarative statement of what ought to be certain faith. Surat Sajdah switches to tell us about those who have a problem with faith. And why is it that they have a problem with faith? اَمْ يَقُولُونَ افْتَرَاهُ بَلْ هُوَ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكَ لِتُنْذِرَ قَوْمًا مَا أَتَاهُمْ مِنْ نَذِيرٍ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَهْتَدُونَ اللَّهُ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامٍ ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ دُونِهِ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ وَلَا شَفِيعٍ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ Ok Then, immediately, to the crux, to the heart of the problem, some can't believe that this is the revealed word from God. Some cannot believe. And they, if you do not believe that this is the revealed word from God, what follows is that you believe that Muhammad, Iftarah, iftarah means made it up, acted as a, and, and it was the nuance of acted as an aggressor by lying and pretending that this came from God. You're calling Muhammad a liar, which is a very big deal. To call this man, to accuse this man of lying is not a minor thing and you cannot fudge it. You can't say, well, I'm not saying he's a liar, I just don't believe in the Quran or I just don't believe that this is God's revealed word word, or I am not sure. If you truly believe, if you, you either believe Muhammad When he says, I received this from Allah, or you don't. So keep in mind, because often in the old days, I used to get questions from young people, why is lack of belief, why does the Quran describe those who don't believe as mujrimun, as criminals? Well, for one, for one, you are accusing this man of being a liar, and that's no small accusation in the world of Islam. They don't believe, and they accuse this man of being a liar, but then the affirmative statement by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately verily, no, this is verily the truth. And then this very powerful um, crafting of an image by Surah al-Sajda, an image that is crafted in several other surah, it is Allah who created the heavens and earth in six days, then ascended to the throne, Al-Arsh. And if you understand that, you would understand that the, the truth is you have no other ally, you have no other friend, you have no other true supporter, true aid, Except for Allah. Now, won't you remember? تتذكرون, and we will, let's just keep that in mind. تتذكرون, won't you remember? يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ ثُمَّ يَعْرُجُ إِلَيْهِ فِي يَوْمٍ كَانَ مِقْدَارُهُ أَلْفَ سَنَةٍ Alfa mimma Taudun. The one who crafted dabbar to, al-amr, to literally engineered it. Engineered life. Now, here we pause at a couple of important things. ascended to the throne, Al-Arsh. What is that? Created in six days. Then Surah al sajda tells us that a day of gods is equal to a thousand of your earthly years. Elsewhere, the Quran tells us that a day of God is equal to ten thousand of earthly years. First, this issue of time. When, in Arabic linguistics uh, 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 style, when you say something is a thousand or 10,000, it was a common usage to signify a large number, but not a specific number. So is it precisely a 1,000? No, it's not. Is it precisely 10,000? No, it's not. Why? Because once you get beyond time and space on Earth, Time no longer has the same meaning outside the realm of this created world. Once you get beyond earthly time, which is crafted, it's not happenstance, the the relationship between the sun and the moon and the revolution of earth creates, and gravity, creates earthly time, but beyond that earthly time, we get into a completely different logic in which time, as we know it, is no longer time. So, and sit at the a.m., six days, Qur'anic commentators from centuries ago noted something that is very important for us today and that when Allah says six days, this is not a reference to a numbered set of days, but (laughs) meaning It indicates six states. Six, if you will, evolutions. Now, it's very interesting because I remember a long time ago when I took astronomy, I was blown away by the fact that the story of the Big Bang and the creation of Earth has, in fact, six distinct periods. There is, if you watch uh, the... the um, uh, there is a video by a group called There is No Conflict. Uh, not all their videos are good, but th- that specific video where they talk about the six periods... Uh, that, that one is actually good. So, I mean, you could look up uh, There Is No Conflict and watch the episode. But it is fascinating that long before we knew anything about the Big Bang, these Muslim scholars told us that six days doesn't mean one, two, three, four, six days, but it means six states or six conditions or six distinct periods. So, there are six periods that, and these periods, by earth time, could be thousands of years, could be millions of years, it doesn't matter. But upon Allah finishing the creation of earth and living beings on earth, Allah ascended to the throne. What does ascended to the throne mean? It doesn't mean Allah ascended to a place where Allah sits on some chair and decides things. What it means that Allah ascended (laughs) meaning Allah ascended to being the sovereign and the caretaker and the manager, when you say jalastu ala al-arsh means I sat on the seat of authority. You, you don't have to actually have a chair or, or you could sit on the floor, you could sit on the chair, you could sit on the sofa, you could sit on a bed, you could not sit at all. It, it, what it means is I now have assumed authority. And this is what Allah is telling you. Allah created.
1: Allah,
0: uh, Allah created. Allah then sat in the position of the sovereign authority as the caretaker of this creation and time and space, as you know it doesn't apply in the realm of God. You might be thinking that your life is either long or short, but it is merely a blip, a little blip in God's time. So we might think, oh, we've been going through X, Y, and Z, we've been suffering for a hundred years, for 200 years, while it is merely but an instant in a realm other than our realm, in the divine realm. Now, don't you remember, raises a very important thing in Islamic theology. How can we remember what we have not seen? We didn't see the creation of Earth. We didn't see the the Big Bang and the evolution of the creation of Earth and the creation of water and the creation of carbon-based living things. We didn't witness all of that. Surah al-Sajda will tell you that Allah breathed, created human beings through the divine breath. And not just Surah al-Sajda, but other surahs as well. That life, life, is the result of the, the divine breath. Beyond earthly time and beyond the laws of physics in this creation, when you received that divine breath, you also received a primordial knowledge about the truth of things. This is what we, you learn about when people say that the futra of a human being is a fitra, the, the intuition of a human being, the fitra of a human being is Islam. The origins for that, where that comes from is the belief that when you received the divine breath you also received a primordial awareness and that primordial awareness is an intuitive realization that beyond this world, time and space are very different. And that this world has a Lord and the Lord is in fact Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We spend so much of our life denying that. Now, notice that so many people, so many people, either don't want to think about that, so the, when they say we are, um, uh, what is that word for people who are, uh, don't believe in any particular religion? Atheist. Not atheist.
1: Agnostic.
0: Agnostic. They say, oh, we're agnostic. What that means is they're escaping their primordial knowledge there is a tension and a discomfort. And you don't want to deal with the full logical implications of your primordial knowledge. So you avoid the tension with labels. And a very convenient label is the label of agnostic. Now there is another type. And those who are angry they don't only deny God, they're not only atheists, but so many atheists, you will notice, are angry at God. Why are they angry? Because they are denying their futra, because they're denying their primordial remembrance. And when you deny what you know to be truth, and you are arrogant about it, you become defiant. And when you're defiant, you're angry. It is the things that make us most uncomfortable when people confront us with what we innately know to be true. That's where we experience the most discomfort. And that discomfort often translates into hostility. It's a funny theory of mine, take it or leave it, but, you know, I believe a lot of men who hate women, for instance, innately, intuitively, they wanted to be women. They envy women for what they are. They innately wanted to experience womanhood. But they can't. So it translates into an arrogant and defiant dominance and control and desire to degrade and hurt. When you work on your ego and you cleanse your ego, one of the first things that you realize is how much truth is covered up with anger. And that you are angry at so many people and so many things because fundamentally you're angry at yourself. And when you cleanse the ego, there are moments of weeping as you realize that in order to be at peace with yourself, you must first embrace yourself and accept it. And that is very hard to do. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَا تَتَذَكَّرُونَ Do you not remember? What Allah is referring to is this primordial knowledge placed within us. As if Allah is saying, look within to find it. It's there. Okay. A lady acts in a cool shay in Hulkahu, Wabeda and Hulk Hulkal
1: insana.
0: Oh, sorry, I, I was saying Alif la, Lam Ra, and I meant to say Alif Lam Meme. Alif Lam Meme, not Alif Lam Ra. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, so, I mean, the 29 surahs begin with Alif Lam Mim, not Alif Lam Ra. Alif Lam Ra is a different matter. But, those, but the same applies some said that Alif stands for God, Lam stands for Angel Jibreel, and Mim stands for the Prophet Muhammad, and as I said, I, I, I mean, I'm not convinced. But um, Alif Lam Mim has a role to play Ra has a role to play, Kaf Ya Sad has a role to play, and etc et But thank you for pointing that out. Okay. Allah reminds that primordial part within you. That there is a perfection and balance to creation that points to the created. One of the things that atheists, if you ever—I mean, I'm not telling you to to to, uh, to do that—but if you read the 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 literature of the so-called new atheists who are very angry at God, one of the things that uh, <laughs> that you end up with is that. If you work out mathematically the possibility that everything would have to come together for the world that we live in to exist, it's such a minute mathematical possibility that it is truly absurd. I mean, so many things have to come together just right for life to exist on this earth, the way it exists. So the way that the New Atheists solve this is with the multidimensional world. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Uh, they say, well, you know, okay, yeah, it's, very, very, it's a rare mathematical possibility, but that just means there are several worlds out of one possible origin that coexist. So they, they would rather believe in the existence of a multi-dimensional world, many dimensions that are not inhabited at all because they experience the mathematical impossibility rather than believe in God. And when you read things like that, you remember surah like surah as-sajdah. So Allah reminds you now, there is a latifa, as they say, there is a, a, a point that is worth mentioning here. When Allah tells you that, it is Allah that has perfected everything that Allah created. And the origins of human beings are from clay. The origins. But we know that the clay itself doesn't is not consciousness. And the clay itself is not willpower. Rather, where does this come from? The breath of God, from the spirit of God, if you will, from the breath of God, that is the source of life. So many theologians comment on Quranic references to the divine imperative of creating beautiful things. Where if you've read the search for beauty in Islam, you would know the impact that an ayah like this has had on me in my life. This is a God, a beautiful God, that creates beautiful things. Many of our ancestors, who unfortunately we've forgotten, said, fil khalq al-ihsan. the sunnah that Allah has created is to perfect and beautify. Now you human being, do you want to follow Allah's sunnah? I mean, it blows my mind that was all the talk about follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Okay, sure. But we never hear any talk about following the sunnah of Allah. And what is sunnah Allah? What is Allah's sunnah? Is to beautify and perfect. Now you have a choice. You can choose to follow Allah's sunnah or not follow. But if you want to follow Allah's sunnah, the imperative that comes upon you is to beautify and perfect. That is why our ancestors created a civilization. When you read in so many writings... Our early ancestors, these scholars that we've forgotten, say things like, when you create beautiful things, including feeding, creating a walk for animals, or uh, taking care of the wayfarer, or the traveler, or freeing slaves, or building mausoleums and beautiful mosques, or creating... um, beautiful arabesque that in all of that you're worshipping why are you worshipping? you're creating an arabesque you're creating a beautiful arabesque tray why is that worship? it's following Allah's Sunnah al ihsan khalq do you all follow? I actually can't see you because I, I'm not wearing my glasses Okay, now I can see you. You're following? Okay. (laughs) This is one of the most powerful imperatives that allowed for the creation of the Islamic civilization. Now, here is the scary thing. If you don't follow Allah's sunnah in al-Ihsan fil-khalq, You don't create beautiful things. You don't smile. You don't spread salam. You don't say spread salam wherever you go. You don't spread cheers wherever you go. You don't spread happiness wherever you go. You don't create beauty wherever you go. Let's take juxtaposes to, well, what do you create? Let's say you create ugliness. You create suffering you create hardship you create misery you create sadness well if it's not Allah's Sunnah whose Sunnah are you then following our early ancestors said the answer is clear you're following the Sunnah of the shaitan now so remember I told you the Fatiha is the key to everything If you are not spreading Rahma, Rahma, mercy, is Ihsan al The beauty that the Khaliq, the Creator, creates. So if you're not spreading Rahma, if you've listened to the past khutbas I've given about Surah al then you are, you've distanced yourself from the divine paradigm. If you ever see a human being spreading misery and hate, you know, constantly talking about how certain people are inferior or how certain people are evil or constantly talking, you know, relishing in controversies and in... Misery and hardship and arguments and fights, and you know, that's what excites them. Then know that you are witnessing a companion to the shaitan. That's we grow up with all of these concepts, but no one explains them to us. You know, we grow up and we might hear our parents say, Oh, don't you know, there is the companion of the shaitan and there's the companion of Allah. Okay, but why, what does that really mean? What does it come from? This is where it all comes from. الَّذِي أَحْسَنَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ Allah that beautified and perfected in creation. I'm going to underscore this one time because I know that this has the ability to transform Muslims forever. Do you follow Allah's sunnah or do you follow the shaitan's sunnah? This is something every one of us has to make a conscientious decision about. If you follow Allah's sunnah, then your path is the path of beauty. Sometimes, we are, as human beings, we are muzabzabin, we are conflicted. So, you know, you might wake up one day in a bad mood. And you, for that morning, as you are in a bad mood, you fight with X, Y, and Z, and you frown at people, and you snap at people. Well, for that time, you are following the sunnah of the shaitan. It might be later in the day that you pray Maghrib and you feel good and then you smile at people and you are nice to people. Then you're following Allah's Sunnah. What does the wise person do? A wise person wants to make sure that by the time they die, when you stack up all these moments in which they followed the Sunnah of the shaitan. And all these moments in which they followed Allah's sunnah, that the moments of Allah's sunnah far outweigh the moments of the shaytan's sunnah. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Okay, we said that Allah breathed the divine spirit. وَجَعَلَ لَكُمُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبْصَارَ وَالْأَفْئِذَهِ قَلِيلًا مَا تَشْكُرُونَ has given you السَّمْعَ hearing and absar sight and afida hearts but you are often so often not grateful why does Allah often in the Quran, list these three in that order. Hearing, sight, and heart. Hearing, sight, and heart, in that order. Because these are the stages of knowledge. When you are young or primitive, What is the main source of learning that you have? Is what you're told. Often second hand or third hand, fourth hand. Someone tells you, you know, there's a, a boogeyman under the bed. You believe it. Your mom tells you there are no boogeyman, no shadows hiding in the dark. You believe it or not believe it, depending. But your source, what forms your consciousness, is what you're picking up here and there. The second stage is when you become an observer and a reader. Where your source of knowledge becomes not what you listen to hearsay, by he, you know, what people tell you, second and third end, but you develop into a more sophisticated consciousness that needs empirical observation, our actual reading of texts. But where does certitude or alternatively wisdom come from? It is what it is when what penetrated through the ears and through the sight, but all of these packages, the two packages of knowledge, settles in your consciousness and creates convictions and beliefs that hopefully are sagacious And wisdom. So when Allah told us, do you know Allah through your hearing? Allah doesn't speak to you. So that stage will often not lead you. Do you know Allah through al-absar, through sight? Well, I can know about Allah. I can observe the empirical handwork of Allah in creation. I can read the Quran, but I can't see Allah. It's a better stage than simply hearing but where does yaqeen come from? where does certitude about Allah comes from? it comes from the heart it is the heart that is capable of seeing Allah not the ears and not your, not your, your hearing and not your sight so When Allah says and, ma and often you're not grateful it's because if you reflect you'll find how miraculous your creation is. You're created with consciousness but a very limited primitive consciousness. But as you grow, that consciousness expands and becomes multi-layered. And it becomes multi-layered because of the tools that Allah gave you. If it hadn't been for those tools, it wouldn't. Like the universe that starts with very small matters and then expands into a great Beautiful complexity. With all the complexity of the universe that we see, behind that complexity is the Lord. Without God, that complexity wouldn't exist. And without God, your complexity wouldn't exist. But what do we often do with this complexity? We challenge God. We defy God. What we often end up doing with this complexity is to put our ego and God's will at equal levels, at parallel levels. God, you don't give me what I want. You don't shape and craft things the way I want them to be shaped and crafted. And so I will defy you. And that's where the reference to the lack of gratitude comes. قالوا اِذَا ضَلَرْنَا فِي الْأَرْضِ أَإِنَّا لَفِي خَلْقٍ جَدِيدٍ بَلْ هُمْ بِلْقَاءِ رَبِّهِمْ كَافِرُونَ قُلْ يَتَوَفَّاكُمْ مَلَكُ الْمَوْتِ alladhi wukkila bikum thumma ila rabbikum tarja'un tarja'un okay they say idha dallana fil ard means is it possible that if we become scattered on this in this earth scattered means we become dust or ashes and we spread is it possible for us to come back? It's a rhetorical question. So, here is one of the most remarkable insights of Surah al-Sajdah. So often, for so many of us, we don't have a problem with believing in a God. In fact, we are willing to concede that there is a God. But in fact, what stands as an obstacle to our faith is resurrection and accountability. so many people that call themselves Muslims, if you open up their hearts, and Allah is the one that opens up the hearts, not us, not human beings, but if you open up their hearts, you find that, yeah, they believe in Allah. They might even pray and fast and everything. But the act As if there is no resurrection and no accountability. Because if they did, things would be very different. Did I lose someone? So here... two challenges, believing that this is a revealed book and believing in resurrection and accountability. And Allah is, tells you that it's interconnected. If you believe that this is a revealed book, then you must believe in resurrection and accountability. But the problem is that the human ego especially as it inflates through its experiences in life, resists, resists a solid conviction in accountability because you don't want it. It is a scary thing. Think of, all of us have gone through things in life that we haven't told anything anyone about. Think of Allah and Allah's angels who see everything and document everything. And as we said, you will see everything you're do- you've done embodied like, like a film before you. Accountability, because it's a scary thing, we often bury it under the rug and simply comfort ourselves with our belief in God. Yeah, God exists, I believe in God. Well, you know, it's as if we're doing God a favor. Okay, God, well, I believe in you, so you must forgive the rest. Come on. You know, if there is a hereafter, after, God, you know I believe in you, and then you should forgive me. Now, let me ask you. If you treated a boss at work like this, who would take it? If you say, well, you know, yeah, I recognize you as a boss, but I don't do anything you say. But the fact that I recognize you as my boss is good enough. Do you see why God, when God tells us the, our problems, they're not small. Because this is exactly taking God for granted. It's extremely disrespectful and irreverent. As if you're doing God a favor. And that is why Allah reminds us time and time again, Including in Surah Sajda. People, remember, you're not doing me any favor. If I wanted to, I have guided all of you, I would have created you believers with limited consciousness and no free will. So you're not doing me any favors by believing in me and saying, well, you know, as long as I believe in you, resurrection will work itself out. But then Allah says, no, truly, I have vowed to pack jannah, heaven, and hell from jinn and human beings. It is impolite to ask why Allah vowed, made this vow. But let me tell you this. Accountability philosophically justifies the existence of life. If we lived and died and that was the end of the story whether there is a God or no God but that's the end of the story this would be an extremely unjust creation and this would be an unjust god because some of us live beautiful lives and some of us live miserable lives it is accountability that can that tells you it's okay You might have gotten a raw deal in this life, but this is not the only life. And in fact, this is not the real life. You take that out and suicide becomes very attractive. If there is no accountability and I'm going through a hard time, suicide sounds very attractive. I don't remember anything about me before I was born and wouldn't it be wonderful to go back to the state where I'm nothing. My wife just left me. I just got fired from my job. My kids hate me. Without a friend in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala your descent into depression will be a free fall. If Allah is your friend, Allah is your companion. You experience sadness, you experience depression, but you always have hope. Because Allah is with you, comforting you, That things will change In this life Or in the hereafter But if there is no companion The divine is out the door Allah is out of the door You you have no no friend in Allah You're alone And when you're alone You're in a free fall And when you're in a free fall That is why before our societies, Muslim societies, became westernized, they had very low suicide rates. Very low suicide rates. And that is also why, before Muslim societies became westernized, Think of, as if you grew up Muslim, and especially if you grew up in a Muslim society, how many times you might have heard someone say, I am depressed. Depression in a Muslim society was a very rare occurrence. People would feel sad. But I can't remember hearing any of my friends or any of my family say these words, I am depressed. While in, after the westernization of our societies, depression has become a pandemic. Antidepressants are prescribed in Muslim countries to an extent never seen before. When I was growing up, my mother was a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and she would treat, treat people. Um, and I just remember how it was like such a big deal when one of her patients would be placed on antidepressants. I mean, it, she would, it was a very big deal. Fast forward 30-40 years and antidepressants are like candy given out to everyone. My mother used to counsel her patients by saying, well, before we try antidepressants, try Allah's companionship. And as a psychologist, she wasn't overstepping the bounds of her profession when she did that because she was in a in back home and because the way consciousness and expectations were formed people would often take that advice and work with it very unlike muslims today sadly where If you say Allah's companionship, well, what does that mean? Everyone has Allah's companionship. Well, I'll tell you, actually, those who have Allah's companionship are extremely few. Everyone claims they are a friend of God. Everyone claims they speak to God. Everyone claims that God is their companion. I'm telling you, 95% of those who say that are lying. God's companionship is an experience of unadulterated beauty. If you truly experienced it, you wouldn't speak of it so lightly and so carelessly. Oh yeah, I speak to God all the time, but give me antidepressants. Okay. Okay. So. People... Allah knows that the real challenges for so many is believing that this is a revealed book, this is the revealed book, and resurrection and accountability. And the ego will often resist a real belief in resurrection and accountability. Then Allah, Surah says that then reminds us in this extremely powerful image. قُلْ يَتَوْفَاكُمْ مَلَكُ الْمَوْتِ الَّذِي بِكُمْ Remember that it is not just that you're going to die. But your death is God's business. It is like, you know, your passport will expire and you will have to come to me to renew it. You know, you could go around acting like, you know, before your passport expires that you have all the time in the world, but, you know, wake up and smell the, I don't know what, your passport, you will expire, and you'll come to me. Now, here in the commentaries, there is often a, a little bit of a, a discourse that is scary. And again, if Inshallah Allah wills, and we do that year-long thing, you learn about about this a great deal. At the moment of death. Your soul is a divine business because your soul will be received by an angel, but but there are scary angels and there are beautiful angels. There are angels that will terrify you at the moment of death. And there are angels that will comfort you at the moment of death. That's one. Two, we have a great deal of hadith that says that those who have strayed away from Allah, forgotten Allah, especially those who have forgotten Allah's promise, of accountability that at the moment of death you will be visited by shayateen, by demons, and that these demons will lead you further. Did something happen? No. Uh, and this, these demons will attempt to lead you further astray by giving you the impression that there is no God. And they will be allowed to do so if you've lived a life away from God. And we'll talk about this at the end of Surah As-Sajdah. Those who have forgotten God, so God forgot them. When Allah tells us, God forgot them, meaning Allah will allow, will not intervene. The angels of Allah will not intervene to prevent the demons from terrorizing you at the moment of death and further leading you astray. I'll tell you something. I've been hospitalized many times. And subhanAllah, In the, every time I'm hospitalized, I end up in a ward next to someone who's dying. Greece is my witness because she's experienced this with me. I mean, if you know, she's the one that gets stuck with me every time I'm hospitalized. So, you know, I'm hospitalized and I hear someone dying next door or sometimes in the same room. And from the way that they're dying, the hallucinations... I can tell that they are being visited by demons. And it is extremely unpleasant. I remember the last time there was a woman, and probably you remember this, the woman who kept saying, I want to go home. The poor woman would say non-stop, non-stop, I want to go home, I want to go home, I want to go for hours, hours. And I asked the nurses and they said, unfortunately she's terminal and we're just waiting. And then she would start screaming, leave me alone, leave me alone, I want to go home, leave me alone. And then she would go back to, I want to go home, I want to go home. And then she died, I think it was a a day or two. It is wise to think of your death and to pray to Allah that the moment of death would be a beautiful and peaceful one. You don't want to be visited. You don't want to be among those that Allah forgets. That's meaning, is kinaya. Um, um, it's uh, what is the, what's kinaya in English? Where's, uh, where's, uh, Rami. He just had to leave. <laughs> Rami left? Oh wait. Someone is he literally forsake. For um Forsake. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um anyway, okay. <laughs> okay, we we've gotta punish Rami for leaving. <laughs> he literally just left. Okay. No, anyway, it it, it it's an expression that means yeah, I mean, for uh, oh, I get, I get what you say. Forsake for no, I'm I, I I was looking for a different word, but anyway, yeah, that Allah has has forsaken you. The part that I'm I'm commenting on is is the part that by allowing, once you've entered into that realm of the divine, the the realm of unearthly, earth, unearthly life. Everything that transpires there doesn't transpire because of your free will. You've exited the realm of free will. And in that realm, you are at the mercy of the angelic or at the mercy of the demonic. It is not your will that matters in that realm. It is the will of God and angels and demons. And so a wise person would think of that and would consider that very heavily because, you know, it comes. Okay, so then that very powerful image of those who've taken God for granted we either believe that Muhammad is a liar, or that, you know, effectively called God a liar by not taking accountability seriously, they're described as mujrimun. M- mujrim means criminal or offender. So those who now have the status of criminals after death, they stand with their heads lowered. نَاكِسِي عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ Saying what? Saying, God, now we want to use our hearing and our sight in a different way to lead to different results than what brought us here. Now we of course know that that that's not going to happen. The chances are over. God gave you the tools to shape your consciousness so that your Fuad, your heart, is full of certitude. And you didn't do so. Then you come in the hereafter and say, okay, well, we want to renegotiate this to lead to different results. The game is over. Okay. bima nasitum وَذُوقُوا الْعَذَابَ الْخُلْدِ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ إِنَّمَا يؤمن بِآيَاتِنَا الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا بِهَا خَرُّوا سُجَّدًا وسبحوا بِحَمْدِ رَبِّهِمْ وَهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ This is where the Sajda comes from. So, okay, you've forsaken you for God You've forgotten. You have didn't act on your primordial knowledge. You've been now forsaken. And in the realm in which your will doesn't matter, the experience is unpleasant. But then who are who are those who have iman iza Zukiru bi ayati those who when they remember Kharu sajada wa sabbahu bi hamdi rabbihim wa hum la yastakbirun kharusu sajada literally the image that is drawn is to literally fall down into is sujood and la and they are not arrogant okay the word tatajafah is used in the Quran once, and this is the one time that it's used. So the image that is drawn here, those who have true belief, they are in a state. What is the state? That belief forms their consciousness in such a fashion, that the way that they acknowledge their relationship with Allah is to hasten to sujood. But not only that, they forsake tatajafah zunubuhum. It's literally, you know when you're restless, you can't sleep, so you lie down and then you get up you do something and then you lie down and then you get up, do something. You're, you're, you're anxious. You can't sleep. And you go back and forth. Now, the vast majority of times, the reason that happens, if you're lucky, is because you're in love with someone and love and passion is tormenting you. So you can't sleep and you get, get up and lie down and get up. If you're unlucky, you're worried about an exam, you're worried about a job, you're worried about family member. Now imagine that Allah is telling you those who have true certitude, that happens to them. But it doesn't happen because they love someone or because they're worried about material gain, but because of their relationship with Allah. It is as if Allah handed you... So, let's repackage it. A lot of people say they believe. But few people have real certitude. Those who have certitude, it shapes their consciousness so powerfully that to the extent that it might cause or it will cause restlessness in their sleep. They will lie down and get up, but they don't get up to walk around their house or to get a drink of water or to play a game. They get up because of their relationship with Allah. And they get up to fall down in sujood, to pray extra, to sit in du'a, to supplicate to God, to talk to God. Now, interestingly, it is as if God, ينفقون, And they spend from what we've given them. It is as if God is telling you Even restlessness and sleep about your relationship with me without detachment from material possessions is not good enough. Unless you are willing to give and be just in your giving, a give to give each their due. So if you know someone is due money, you owe them money and you, do, you hold it back, then the entire equation falls. But beyond giving each their due, you are giving the poor and the needy their due. Because you understand that you are nothing but a trustee in this money. It's not really yours. The money is God's. And it is quite remarkable, the way Surah al-Sajdah, Dissects everything, breaks down our pretenses. Those numerous people who say we believe, but they don't have certitude. And a lot of them believe as a matter of habit, as a matter of being raised Muslim, I believe because everyone around me believes. Or, I believe because I was taught to do ritual and I do the ritual but, you know, it, it doesn't really make me a beautiful human being. I'm not, I don't follow the Allah's sunnah in creating beauty. It doesn't translate into anything. Or, I believe but I don't act as if there's a, a hereafter. And that, so I am a jerk, I lie, I cheat, I steal... I do everything that's wrong, but in name I'm a Muslim. Surah to Sajda is the exposer, is it's the surah that comes in and and strips you, strips you naked, exposes you before yourself. Are you really? Well, here is the standard that here's the goal that you must work towards. That goal is Yaqeen, certitude. And the way, the translation of that Yaqeen is a belief and a companionship with the divine, so intimate that you become restless about it. It, You know, if you... You you know, people in in, in love, you know, they'll stay up the night writing... The suddenly they discover that they're poets. You know, they might not have been poets their entire life, but then suddenly they're poets and they're writing, you know, a poem. And they're, you know, they... they There is... There is a, a, a misguided divinity often to the feeling of love and passion. Uh, but... When that love is directed towards Allah. Take that very image of the the struck lover, but instead of it being from a human to a human, it's from a human to God. Now, What is the result of that? فَلَا تَعْلَمُ نَفْسٌ مَا أُخْفِيَ لَهُمْ مِنْ قُرَّةِ أَعْيُنٍ جَزَاءً بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْعَلُونَ. That expression qurratu ayun is amazing. And remember yeah remember that one of the things about the Qur'an is that if you're experiencing the Qur'an for the first time, as someone who grew up as an Arab, reciting Arabic poetry, you know Arabic very well. Arabic is your language not in the sense of Arabic is the language of Arabs of today, because the Arabs of today have a very poor relationship with their language. They often know English better than they know Arabic. But you're one of the medieval Arabs, and then an expression like Ayun it's it's like being you know struck by something for the first time, and you say that's an amazing expression. I haven't heard that before Allah's then promise is saying well. You know, if you knew your your reward or not even the reward but the result the consequences of this relationship with Allah the consequences is qurata ayun. Qurra ta'ayun means something that leaves you fully and thoroughly satisfied. Now, many, especially uh, Sufi commentators, say the Qurrat ayun the state of complete peace and satisfaction and repose is not necessarily just in the hereafter, but it could be on this earth. True companionship with the divine will result in a state of kurratin in this world, and you, you know it's something that you have to experience, you can't describe. and among Sufis, they even think that it is um, it, it's an offense. It's something, it's something absolutely wrong to try to describe it, because any attempt to describe it deprecates it and degrades it. That, that reciprocation by the Divine of your passion for the Divine, that reciprocation is Kurat Ain. Okay. Now Allah then says after talking about those who are satisfied or those who receive ayn qurrat al-ayun those who they, they, they are they are so restless that they lose sleep because of the relationship with allah and then they receive as qurat and so on allah talks about the, the consequences in terms of hell and heaven however the 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 part that i want to pause with so they will taste a level of suffering on this earth. So, does Allah in this situation, in this journey, does Allah not communicate with you, not give you opportunities? And the answer is Allah gives you opportunities through the lessons of suffering this is why for if you read sufi literature so much of it celebrates not collective public suffering that's not their goal but individual suffering as an opportunity for growth that's something that they strive for to get to the point where you say Alhamdulillah for everything but you don't say it just to say it pro forma but you say it truly because you mean it to put it differently the various hardships and challenges that you confront in life this is the way Allah is consistently sending you reminders to perhaps wake you up the remarkable thing is that allah describes a group of people as fi ayunina fi ayunina you know literally it means in our eyes figuratively it means that Allah cares about those people still cares about those people they have not been forsaken they have not been forgotten yet and what happens to those who are still in god's eyes <laughs> in god cares about Allah sends them these levels of suffering so that they will come back to God. Every time you're afflicted with hardship, and that hardship makes you more diligent about your prayer, makes you focus more strongly in prayer. This is our nature as human beings. You know, something bad happens to us, we suddenly remember that you know, we, we, we're more eager to pray, more eager to do this, more eager to pay sadaqah. To, to but you shouldn't feel guilty about this. In fact, Allah is giving you an opportunity. The, the test though, the real test, is that once the suffering ends, that you don't go back to where you were, because that's what exactly happens. So as long as you are in fact being tested that's a fairly good indication that Allah still cares about you. And that you are still dear to Allah. You know when do you start worrying? You start worrying when everything is going perfectly. When all the hardships ended. When you get the money, you get every, you know, basically your life is going as smoothly as it can. That's where I start really worrying. I remember a long time ago when I was still very young. You know, I I was always doing well in school and so on and so forth. Then I went to my mother and I said, um, I think I was 16 or something like that. You know I'm really worried I'm worried that Allah doesn't love me I said why I said because there's no there are no hardships in my life. Everything's come very easily. I'm not suffering at all. My mother said don't don't say that because I worry about the hardships that will befall you in your life. And I said, really? And she said, yes, because I believe you are dear to Allah, not because you're not dear. Well, fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> recently for laughing. I can tell you, there is no period in my life, no period in my life, including the, current, the present moment, that has not been free of hardships, pain, agony, you name it. Grace can tell you, Shreve can tell you about this. There, you know, we, one problem ends, we just wait for the next one. And they are often problems that break the back of the most, you know, Alhamdulillah. <laughs> but every hardship has led to a different stage of growth. And I know that the minute I no longer want God my life would turn miraculously into absolute luxury everything would just rain on me I would get all the dunya that I want so many of my companions and friends have gone that path you know they got tired it's too much um, so these tests that Allah sends you is So that you will turn to Allah and your suffering is not forgotten and is, Allah is not oblivious to that suffering. That suffering might actually make you because you might, by your own nature, not be among those who will lose sleep because of your love for Allah and because of your passion for God. God brings you closer. Part of God's mercy. And every time in you calamity befalls us, The first thing I do, I go pray two raka'ans and I say, Alhamdulillah, Allah, you're preparing me for the real life after death in a higher status. Okay. Having given you that, Allah tells you, But there are so many that will be sent these ayats, sent these hardships, these tests. And instead of drawing, returning to God, they turn the other way. And for those they have that special status of Muzramun. They were given every opportunity through the trials and tribulations in life to become among those that grow from Emir iman, God exists, to true Yaqeen, to actual certitude. But they refused it. They rejected it. And so they're given what, you know, whatever they want on life on earth but in the hereafter it becomes a different matter and classic quranic style rarely does the quran neglect to point our attention to the imperative of reflecting upon history so at that point, the Surah Sajda turns and says, "Look at the people of Israel. They've been given the message, and not only were they given the message, but that they have a imma Yahduna amrina wakanu They had leaders and scholars that developed that level of certitude and walked the straight path, walked the correct path, walked with God. Where is it? Well, hold on one sec. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. But if you reflect upon history, the the, the I, I'm wanted to make sure that I'm not remembering something as part of Swaraj Sajda that. Is another surah that occurred to me as I was talking. Yeah. So many generations came and went, and that's the lesson of history. You are not going to know about these generations because of your eye faculty or because of your wisdom. You're going to know about these generations in the way that we know about all history through hearsay. Why is it hearsay? Even if you read a book about history, it's someone who told someone, who told someone, who told someone, who then ends up documenting in a book It's all hearsay. We didn't see history, but we hear about history. And we hear about history second and third and fourth and fifth hand, except for the history that Allah tells us about directly that we can trust with certitude. All other history is hearsay and negotiated through the faculties of our mind, but the major instrument is, is the hearing about the past. But as often the, the Quran does when it points to history, is that, look, so many people held the true message. And as the Quran says elsewhere, وَطَالَ al amad," But it um, Sorry, let me. So many people held the true message. So many people built civilizations. So many people constructed edifices that they thought were powerful and lasting. But if you listen to the silence of history, in other words, you listen to the ruins of history, you will realize that as powerful as everything seems to be, the only lasting thing is Allah. Now, about the message, so many people receive the message. But then, what happens to those people who, like Bani Israel, received the message and even had righteous scholars? وَطَالَ عَلَيْهِمْ الْأَمَدِ means not from the surah but from elsewhere. What sets in is habit and familiarity. So at one point and this like for instance is something that happens to a lot of converts. At first everything is new and fresh and beautiful and novel. With the passage of time at beginning they used to say salah and focus completely because it was all new and every word meant something. Fasting was a new experience and full of reflection and insights. But what eventually sets in is the plague that often destroys so much goodness in human beings. And that is the power of habit. You no longer struggle to remember the words in Salah and they become so common that you often can repeat them without even focusing, without even concentrating. You could be thinking about your bills and reciting the Fatah. Fasting has lost all the freshness and all the newness. In fact, when you come to Muslims, what differentiates between those who are restless in their bed and those who are Muslim by name is that those who are Muslim by name are basically followers of habit. There's no passion. They really haven't felt the sweetness and beauty of Iman. If they're lucky, they will use the hardship that befalls them as a path towards rekindling their relationship with the Divine. If they're obstinate and arrogant, hardship will make them indignant and angry at the Divine and then they, it's lost ويقولون متى هذا الفتح ان كنتم صادقين قل Yomal Fatha lay and foul ladina Kafaru Imanu, Walla whom Yunzarun, Farid Annum, Farid Annum, one tother in Nahum Muntazirun. Okay. So the penultimate statement after taking us through this emotional ride. is when all is said and done, the question whether articulated to the prophet in person or the question that is in the minds of every person that either denies God explicitly and resentfully or is forgetful towards God. In other words, doesn't think about the the accountability very seriously is when is this, and notice here the, the, the uses of the word Fath. Not when is the final day, not when is the when is the hour, the final hour, Fath. Now, Fath normally means what? To open something, right? So when we talk about the Islamic wars, we call them al-futuhat al-Islamiyya. Why? Because these countries were opened to the Islamic message. When we talk about someone that has received inspiration from God, you say, alayya. Allah has inspired me, has given me. When we want to be nice to someone, we say, yaftahullahu Meaning, may Allah open it for you. Open what? The, according to that wish, open everything that's good. You know, whether it's money, may Allah give you more money. Whether it's peace of the family, may Allah give you family. Whether it's tranquility and good health, it's a it's a very beautiful du'a. Yaftahu Allah May Allah open everything that's beautiful. So mata hazal fat. The challenge then. It's not that when is the hereafter, when is the hour. When is this time of true insight? That you are talking about. When is this time? That all doubts all egos and all the, the, the uh, camouflages and veils and shadows that the egos constructed are torn away and you have the truth clear and undeniable. And then the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the rasul alayhi salatu very sober, ...and very sombering. Tell them... ...turn away and tell them... ...when that day of certitude comes... ...it will be too late. إِنَّهُمْ منتظرون So wait... ...not wait as we will wait... ...as sometimes the Quran says... But here, wait as they, as they will wait. Meaning, they are in a conflicted state. They are in a state of forgetfulness. They are in a state of lack of true certitude. Because ultimately, they haven't experienced the coming of the next stage. So, you, Prophet, and here is the formation of the Sunnah of the Prophet, remember. That's the response you give and turn away from them. Know that there is no resolution. And often, and, and, and as we will see, inshallah, repeatedly the Quran reminds the Prophet and reminds us Remember that there might not be a resolution in your lifetime. You might not see the end of the Byzantine Empire. You might not see the end of this Zalem or that Zalem, this tyrant or that tyrant. You might not see the end of the entire story because you don't see the span of history. But, Turn away from that. Because that's not your business. So, Surah to Sajda comes and alerts us. It is the Surah that reminds us of the certitude that we should strive for. The the state in which some Allah moves something in our heart That we don't fall in sushud because Islamic law tells us to But because we are drawn to out of love And that the state of doubt It's as if Allah says I know, I know that when you have doubts You're going to have doubts about the truthfulness of the revelation and a state of as you grow up and your consciousness and your ego grows you're going to to start having doubts about that there is an afterlife. Is it real? We're going to die and come back? Really? This life seems so powerful. And Having called that, that you must actively resist against slipping in that state and developing and working towards yaqeen. How do you develop yaqeen? In my experience, there's only one way to develop yaqeen. Yes, you can read a lot of physics, you can read a lot of biology, you can, read all, you can read all the books of philosophy that I've read, and you know, or you can do something else that is far more attractive. Worship God until God gives you Yaqeen as a gift. You've withered away hardships, and I'll tell you, the more Yaqeen you get. The harder the test you get, upping the ante. Grace can tell you stories about our life, endless. I mean, I don't think we've since we got married. I don't think we've had a day. <laughs> These they're laughing because they know. Um. Alhamdulillah. The, it, And it is because of that path towards certitude. But you get to a point where it really doesn't matter. And notice how personal this journey is. This is not a journey that you're going to yap about or in our modern age, text people about or message people about. If you do that, I am telling you, you will never get there. If the need, if your path is talk, 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 talk. Oh, you know, you, you want to talk to your, even siblings, parents, children, I don't care who it is if you don't learn to be one-on-one with God, no one sees you and no one will ever know about the moments you will experience. If you are not comfortable, you know there are people who are not comfortable being by themselves. Well, here, if you're not comfortable being alone with God, that path to certitude will become very difficult. It is, notice how highly personal it is. And because it is personal, فَارِدْ anhum. Turn away from them. Meaning what? Don't argue. Don't try to convince the unconvinced. Those who come to you, you can tell them. You can teach them surah As-Sajdah. But beyond that, that's it. There is no place for arguments. The nature of Iman, the beauty of Iman, is the minute it is overtaken by ego, it is corrupted. So, the minute Iman becomes a medium to exercise authority over others, to control others, It is fouled. One of the things, for instance, you know, I often get messages from people, or well, you know, some of them well-intentioned, some of not them not, say, you know, I my friends say this and this and this about you. Or I asked my sheikh about you, and my sheikh said this and this and this about you. And such-and-such such person says about you, In, if you want to re- walk the path of the divine, what people say or not say about you cannot matter at all. So, if you do what you do so that you will be popular, so you will have many followers, so that you will have numerous people that adore you know that your journey with the divine is corrupted the nature of this is that you desire no power you desire no benefit from other human beings and you desire even you don't desire even the reputation as long as your relationship with Allah is on the path. That's what matters. We often say there are many people who are very famous in the heavens and completely nobodies on earth. And there are many people who are very famous on earth and they're nobody in the heavens. In other words, you could be a rock star On earth, but in the heavens, you're completely worthless. You're among the forsaken or forgotten. But you could be a rock star in the heavens. All the angels know about you. The day that you you are received will be a great day in the heavens. But no one knows you in this earth. You're completely a an entity. Life on earth It's your choice Which do you work towards? Rockstar status on earth Or rock star status in heavens? Ver- the, you know, the problem The minute that you get the rock star, the rock star status on earth Is that you're immediately the, the powers that work to corrupt the ego Are active Full force And only the truly fortunate and truly wise can guide against that. Um, Among my prayers is Allah never tempt me with fame. Because fame is when you start playing to the likes and dislikes of people. Um, Yeah. So that's Surah to Sajdah. We've actually we we need to pray So that's Surah to Sajdah Alhamdulillah, we finished Surah al Sajdah. Um remember that the Prophet used to read the Sajda every night. And that's the Prophet. It if you take it to heart, it will it will transform you. If if you become obsessed with I want to become among those who who become restless in their sleep not because of their you know latest crush in in Arabic culture I don't know about here in 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 Western culture but American culture but in Arabic culture you know people write all these poems about how they can't sleep because they're loving with someone just like Looking at the moon and, not, and losing sleep are the two clear signs that you're in love with someone. Um, so, the, 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 you know, but your desire is, is that, well, I want that, but I want it with God. And if it becomes your obsession, or I don't, you know, I don't want to be losing sleep because I'm worried about my job or my, how am I going to pay my bills. I want to be about God. It really does have a transformative power. And I be, firmly believe that the early generations understood Surah al-Sajdah in that sense, and that's why it became known as Surah al-Sajdah, the surah that clearly tells you what you aspire for to be among those who fall into sujood, a, a symbolic act out of your relationship and your passion for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i i want to make sure there's something that i thought i forgot um i I was working on Surah maryam so i'm i'm not sure if i if my memory is confusing me uh There is a discussion in either Surah Maryam or Surah Al Sajda about wuddullah that those who seek the path of Allah, Yajalullahu lahum Wudda. Wuddullah is a relationship of love with Allah. So as we take the break, let me make sure if it is, in fact, part of the discussion for Surah Sajda. If it is, we'll talk about it. If not, then we have to postpone it when we talk, inshallah, about Surah Maryam one of these days. Um, yeah. So shall we take? we pray for us and then... Okay.